past Sunday night, but I'm glad we got to hear it today. That was a blessing. So the three of you work up a new one, get ready next week, y'all be up, okay? Now that we know you can, you have to, just so you know. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, and I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're still talking about Christmas, the birth of Christ specifically, and uh, for the last several weeks we've been in this chapter dealing with the night Jesus was born, and tonight, this morning, will be no different. Um, while you're turning and finding your place, I will say this. Uh, Brother Randy Walker had to leave. Uh, he just got word that his daughter, Angela, was in a car accident this morning, and he's gone to the hospital to check on her. She had Natalie with her. Natalie was uninjured. We don't know about Angela. We don't know the extent of her injuries but if you would pray for Angela, pray for Randy and Joanne, the family. We don't know what's going on, but when we do, we'll update, okay? Be sure and pray for them. All right, Luke chapter 2, and we'll pick up our reading in verse number 15 this morning. Luke chapter 2 and verse 15. And if you have that place, we would ask you to stand momentarily, if you're able, as we read the text. Luke 2. 15. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. You remember they heard the announcement from an angel, right? They equated what they heard from the angel as having come from the mouth of God himself. They took it as the word of God. And so, verse 16, They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You can be seated. I'm going to ask Brother Jim Robbins to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne today. God, we thank you in our heart. Lord, I'm glad that... We're having another opportunity to hear the Word of God. I pray, God, that you'll help our fight today, Lord, that you prepare His heart. Lord, you'll prepare our hearts for the message. Lord, we need to hear from Him. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to every heart. Quicken every soul, Lord, that might be this lost. And bring them to the knowledge that this baby that was born is God Himself. And I thank you for your revelation of who you are, and Lord, that you spoke to my heart one day, and Lord, you me to come to you, and you revealed who you were, and Lord, you, you fixed everything that was wrong, and I appreciate your love to me. I pray God give us wisdom and understanding today, that we might be able to understand and, uh, what, what, what's going to be revealed as to the Word. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do in Christ's name. You know, the night Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was a night of amazing wonders. 
I think the greatest of those wonders was the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into this world. Because when Jesus was born into the world, God became flesh and dwelled among us. And we talk about the birth of Christ being the incarnation of Jesus. Really, the incarnation of Christ took place about nine months earlier when he was conceived in Mary's womb. Be that as it may, God was born into the world as a man the day Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was a major wonder that night. Another of the major wonders that evening was the appearance of the angel of the Lord who delivered his unprecedented message concerning who who Christ was and the birth of the Messiah. This wonder was followed by the appearance of an innumerable choir of angels who praised God for his glory and desire to save his people from their sins. And while all of these wonders were the greatest wonders which occurred that night, they were not the only wonders which took place. The the other wonders which occurred in Bethlehem that night revolved around the shepherds who heard the momentous announcement of the birth of the baby Jesus. And it's those wonders I want to consider today as we examine this text. I'd like to take a few minutes this morning and talk to you about a night of wonders. And I want to view those wonders through the eyes of this group of poor, lowly shepherds. Because the sights these men saw that night in Bethlehem are the same sights we need to see 2,000 years later. What they saw is what you and I need to see. What happened to them is what needs to happen to every one of us. So let me share a few thoughts from this text with you as I talk to you about a night of wonders. Very simple thoughts. First, I'd have you notice in verse number 15... Notice what the shepherds said. Having heard the announcement from the angel of the Lord and having heard the joyous praise from a multitude of the heavenly host, the shepherds hold a quick conference to discuss what they should do. Now these men at this moment had a choice. Should they listen to the message they've just heard from heaven or should they ignore the message and return to their lives as if Nothing happened. Let's talk just for a moment about some of the choices they could have made. First, they could have debated that message. They could have sat down and analyzed what they should do about what they heard. They, should, they could have asked themselves, can we afford to leave our sheep? What will happen if we leave them here and we're gone from them for a while? If they went to Bethlehem, they would have to know the next day would be a long, hard day following a sleepless night. They would also have to wonder if the message was some kind of a hoax. Maybe it was some kind of a mass delusion. Maybe we're just tired and sleepy and we just imagine that we saw this choir of angels. What should they do? They could have talked and talked and talked and sat there and talked about it until they did nothing about it. And I would just say this, sometimes that's what people do. Sometimes people talk themselves out of responding to the gospel in faith. Another choice they could have made that night is they could have rejected it. They could have said, this message obviously wasn't for us, because it sounded too good to be true, and besides, we know what kind of men we are, It must be some kind of a mistake. And even if it was for us, 
surely there's a catch. Well, you know, some people believe the gospel message is just too far-fetched to be believed. That's what the Bible teaches us. Others think the gospel is, still good too, is just too good to be true. And still others believe the gospel and the salvation it promises is not for them. Another choice they could have made, they could have dissected it. That is, they could have looked at it from every angle, trying to figure out all the potential problems with the message. They could have said it's too far to Bethlehem. This message is just asking too much of us why... If we go down to Bethlehem, we'll be gone all night. A lot of times, people often reject what they believe demands too much of them. And in spite of what some preachers preach, the gospel, while free, is not always easy. In fact, I would say it's never easy. The gospel, when believed, comes with tremendous demands. In fact, Jesus said this about it. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to to die to yourself and your desires. It is a message of submission. I read this morning an article that's talking about the decline in the influence of religion in America. And only 51% of people in America today believe religion is important. And part of the reason for that has been attributed to a rise in personal autonomy. That is, people don't want to have to submit to anyone or anything. People want to rule their own lives. They believe they should have the moral right to make all the decisions they want to for themselves and no one has the right to tell them what to do. Well, I would say to you, if you come to Jesus Christ, you are giving up your right to rule yourself. You must submit to His rule and His authority, to His lordship, if you will, and you must submit to Him. And a lot of folk won't do that because the gospel does require much of those who believe it. Not in order for us to be saved, But after we are saved, there are requirements set upon us. They could have doubted it. They could have ignored the message. They could have produced any number of excuses as to why they weren't going to check this out. They could have said, it can't be like we were told. In fact, why should we have been told at all? We'd be better off just to forget it, you know, just, just let this go. But what the shepherds did, they didn't debate it, they didn't reject it, they didn't analyze it, they didn't sit and just talk about it. Their faith is revealed in their words. They did not say in our text, let us go and see if these things are true. What they said in verse number 15 is let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass. They believed what the angel told them, and they believed they would find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths when they got to Bethlehem. Somehow, by the sovereignty of God, providence re- or, excuse me, faith reacted in their hearts, and they took God at His word. Now, I would say to you in this room today, it is not enough to hear about Jesus. It is not enough for you to look into a manger scene at Christmas and say, Oh, how nice. What a touching scene. The birth of Jesus Christ into this world is a wonderful truth. 
But if Jesus was born in Bethlehem a thousand times and is never born into your heart, you will remain eternally lost. And you can get all sentimental at Christmas and you can have all kinds of warm fuzzies about what's happening at Christmas, but if Jesus is not born in your heart, then your attitude toward Christmas is a mockery of the very reason for which Jesus came into the world. But what the shepherds did ultimately changed their life. They took the message at face value, and they went to Bethlehem to see this baby of which they had heard. And this is the only response to God's invitation, which brings salvation to the lost soul. Because when the message of the gospel comes to a lost sinner, it is a crucial moment. Either the sinner will respond in faith and obedience and come to Christ, or that lost person will reject the message and continue in their sin. And what they do with the gospel when it comes to them will determine how they live out the remainder of their earthly lives and it will determine where they go when their earthly life is over. Jesus said this, he said, If you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Receiving the message of the gospel will change your life in this world. And it will produce a change in eternity for all of those who believe the message. The question which must be asked and answered by you today is this. What have you done with Jesus? Because I will tell you, as I've told you in the past, what you do with him here will determine what he does with you when this life is over. The Bible says, He that hath the Son of God hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God has not life. If you know Jesus, you'll live forever. If you don't know him, you'll die without him and go to hell. What the shepherds said. They said, we believe it, let's go see it. That's what they said. Now notice not only what they said, but notice in verse 16 what the shepherds saw. It said, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when the shepherds made their way to Bethlehem, they searched the dark village until they found the place where Jesus was lying in the manger. Whether the place of our Lord's birth was the middle of the muddy, dirty end, whether it was some cave on the outskirts of town, whether it was some farmer's barn or anywhere else you might imagine, the shepherds became the first humans besides Mary and Joseph to see the face of God's Son. And what they saw in Jesus proved to them that everything they had heard about Him was true. What they saw when they saw Jesus proved the truth of that message. And what they saw in Jesus that night, it forever changed their lives. So what did they see? Well, for one thing, they saw a poor couple and a tiny newborn baby lying in a feeding trough. Not very impressive, if you ask me. They also saw a scene of wretched poverty. They saw a place where animals were kept. They saw a nervous young father named Joseph. 
and an exhausted young mother named Mary. They saw a wiggly little baby wrapped up in strips of cloth. That's what they saw. Their eyes perceived a scene of wretched hardship. Their eyes saw a scene which communicated nothing of the majesty and glory lying before them. While their eyes saw one thing, listen to me, their faith saw something else. They saw nothing special in the baby. But the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The angel said, Unto you is born this night in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Those men heard the word from God, their faith reacted to it in belief, and when they looked at Jesus, that little newborn baby lying in that manger, they saw the Savior. They saw the Christ. They saw the Lord. They saw Him for who He was. Their eyes saw a baby, but their faith saw the glory in the baby. Guess what? Apart from the Word of God, and apart from God imparting faith to them to believe the message, those men would have seen nothing more than a baby. Anybody who wandered in there without having heard about it would have seen a young couple and a newborn baby in wretched conditions, and they would have seen nothing more. And when the gospel is preached to people who do not know God, it usually falls on deaf ears. Now, why is this true? It's true because the Bible says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Now, watch this. Neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Until a person is quickened by the Holy Spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The gospel is foolishness. Why is that? Because man without Christ is dead in trespasses and sin. And thus, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. When you hear the gospel as a lost person, you might say something like this, well, that's a nice story, but I don't believe it. In fact, I believe it's a load of malarkey. In fact, God, if He does exist, really doesn't care about us. Jesus was just some poor sap who got Himself crucified for no purpose. This story might make Christians feel better, but I don't believe it. Nothing in that story can help me. That's how I felt about it for a long time until the night the Holy Spirit came and prepared my heart. And when the gospel comes to a prepared heart, the response is always, always, always belief unto salvation. That's the bottom line. Now how is the heart prepared? The heart is prepared to receive the gospel by the work of the Holy Spirit. When God comes to the dead sinner, according to Ephesians 2.1, He quickens or makes alive that dead heart. When the Spirit of God quickens or makes alive the dead heart of the sinner, He causes that sinner to see his lost condition. 
He causes that sinner to understand the holiness, the person, and the wrath of God against sin. And he causes that individual to understand that Jesus Christ is the only hope the sinner has to avoid the wrath of God in hell for eternity. The Spirit of God also provides the lost sinner with faith to believe the gospel. And when the faith supplied by the Spirit of God is directed toward Jesus Christ, salvation is always the result. This is what Paul meant when he said, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, the faith, is not of yourself, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. This is all part of the process that you may have heard referred to as conviction. Because this is what Jesus meant when he said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And that's what it means to see what the shepherd saw. They looked beyond the physical science before their eyes and they saw by faith the reality, the spiritual reality, which was before them. Ladies and gentlemen, I was not there when Jesus was born. I did not see him lying in a manger. I never heard him preach. I never... I wasn't there the day he was crucified. I didn't see him buried. I didn't see him resurrected. I've read about it in a book. The Word of God came to me. And one day, the Spirit of God quickened my dead heart, gave me faith to believe the message, and I looked away by faith, and God saved me by His marvelous grace, and that is how I came to know Him. When, you, when that happens in your life, you too will look beyond the physical things your eyes can see, and you will understand that Jesus is who He claims to be. And isn't that what needs to happen in people's hearts? I mean, people need to get their eyes off the difficulties the human minds see concerning uh, the message of the cross, and they need to see beyond the failures and the problems in the lives of those who follow Jesus. They need to get past in not believing what they cannot see, and we must come to the place where we are willing to embrace the gospel by faith. And all of that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of of the lost sinner. When we do, we'll see him for who he is. We will understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. We will understand that he is the Son of God. We will understand that he is the only Savior and hope of sinners. We we will believe that he died for our sins on the cross. We will believe that he rose again from the dead. We will believe that what he did for us 2,000 years ago will save us today simply by looking to him by faith. And when we believe the message of the gospel, like the shepherds, we too will be converted. Here's how Paul said it. And I've about worn this text out in this church. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The only way you can do that is if the Spirit of God has brought you to a place of faith. Amen. So what have you seen by faith? 
Do you know who he is today? Even though you weren't there to see it with your eyes, even though you didn't see the sights and smell the smells at Calvary, even though you didn't witness him resurrect from the dead, can you honestly say this morning, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he is my Savior. He died for my sins. He rose again. I know who he is because God taught me by faith and God gave me faith to believe. I am saved. If you can, that's a blessing. So what the shepherds saw, what the shepherds said, but notice in 17 and 18 what they shared. In verse 17 it said, And when they had seen it, it, yes, the whole scene, the whole package, that everything was just as it was told them. When they had seen it, look what it says. They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So these nobodies, they came to Bethlehem and they met Jesus Christ. And when they did, everything in their lives changed from that moment forward. One moment they were lost sinners on their way to eternity in hell. And the next moment they were redeemed saints of God on their way to heaven. When they entered the place where they found Jesus, they were common shepherds. But when they left, they were the world's first gospel missionaries. And God took these rough, coarse shepherds and sent them out with a message of salvation, pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the first evangelists of the Christian era, these men did not emphasize what it was like to see an angel. They didn't talk about what it was like to hear an angelic choir. They didn't speak about how terrified they had been when the darkness of the night was shattered and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. But our text says in verse 17, they, they made known abroad what was told them concerning this child. Listen, on the way back to their flocks, they told everybody they met about a baby lying in a manger down the street. And if you go see him, he is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He, we just met him. And man, has changed our lives. And if you'll go meet him, he'll change you too. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, after we've met him, there should be a desire within us for others to know Him like we do. There ought to be something in us that longs to see our family, our friends, our acquaintances, and everyone else we meet to come to know Christ. I wonder how many of the people they spoke to that night in verse 18, I wonder how many of those people went to see what the fuss was all about. I would like to think that some of those folk ran to the manger met Jesus for themselves and humbled themselves before the Lamb of God in faith. I don't know if anybody went. I don't know if dozens went. I have no idea what happened. All I know is those men had a duty to tell and they told everybody they met about the baby. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know who might respond to our gospel witness. But our duty is to tell everyone we meet about Christ and to share the gospel with them. It's our business to tell them, and it's God's business to save them. 
Somebody cared enough about me when I was a wicked sinner to tell me about a Savior who loved me. And because they did, God used that process to bring me to Christ. And I say, let all of those who know Jesus as their Savior be in the business of telling others how they can meet the Lord as well. Tell them who He is. Tell them about His death on the cross. Tell them about His resurrection from the dead. Tell them about His love for sinners and tell them about His ability to save the sinner. Tell them that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Tell them that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. By the way, whether you know it or not, once you come to meet Him, it becomes your responsibility to talk about Him. It becomes your duty. You say, now, preacher, I don't know about all that. That's why God calls guys like you and Brother Jim, Brother Tyler, and others. That's why God calls people like you to preach. That's why He does that, so we won't have to. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Bible says we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's my duty, yes, not just as a pastor, but as a believer in Jesus Christ. It is my duty to tell other people what God did for me through Jesus, and it's your duty too. So I wonder how we're doing with that. How many people have you told about Christ in 2018? Be honest. Think back over the last 12 months. How many people have you talked to about Jesus? If the answer is zero, you could be doing better. Matter of fact, you couldn't get any worse at what you're doing. Right? Unless you start evangelizing for the devil or something. Tell people about Jesus. You say, well, I'm scared to. Yes, yeah, so am I. I'm not real good at one-on-one. I'm not real good at talking to folk I don't really know. I'm not real good at that. But I have to. It's my duty. And when the opportunity presents itself, I've got to do it or I've got to face the Lord with it. So how many people have you told? Why don't you commit today to tell more people next year than you did this year? Just commit yourself. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to watch for opportunities. I'm going to pray for God to open my eyes and let me understand. When I've got an opportunity to tell somebody, and I'm going to step through the door, and I'm going to tell them. That doesn't mean that you try to force them into praying a prayer. That's not what it's about. You just simply tell them. You plant some seed. You water some seed. And you leave the good Holy Ghost alone to grow the crop. And in His time and in His way, He'll bring them to Jesus. And every now and then, you'll come up upon the scene of somebody who has been sown and watered. And they're ready. And man, you have the opportunity to pray with them and talk to them as they weep their way to Jesus. But our job is to tell them, not convert them. Well, that's what they shared. They shared the good news concerning this child. But notice one more thing with me in verse 20. Notice what the shepherds showed. Verse number 20. The Bible says in that verse, And the shepherds returned. Where did they return to? The sheep. What were they doing? They were glorifying 
and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Glorifying and praising God. Those two words respectively mean to magnify and to celebrate. These men were rejoicing in God and they were giving Him vocal praise and glory for all He had done. That must have been some sign. I mean, here you are in the middle of the night in a little village like Bethlehem. And here these shepherds are. These guys are crude. These guys are tough. These guys are men of the world, men of the soil. They are dirty men. They're not the kind of men you would want your daughter or your sister to date. But these men begin to celebrate because they had met the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord, and they knew their lives would never be the same. And I guarantee you, their celebrating was not the artistic praise spoken by the culture, nor was, nor was it the quiet reflection of the scholar. When the Bible says these men were glorifying and praising God, they were doing what they knew how to do. Their praise would have been boisterous, it would have been excited, it would have been loud, and it would have been very pleasing unto the Lord. And when they met Jesus, it filled their hearts with excitement, and they could not contain it. And I think they proved the reality of their relationship with Christ not only by telling others, but by having a desire to worship the God who saved them. Now, when you meet Jesus, you'll never be able to keep Him inside. You can't. There'll be times in your life as a child of God when you are so excited about Jesus, you can't help it. And there'll be times when you're not. Let's be honest about it. There'll be times when you're just not all that, you know, much enthused about who you are in Christ because something's wrong in your heart perhaps or something's out of line in your life. But when everything's lined up, there will be an excitement in you that you can't contain. You'll be like the little boy who went to Sunday school and one Sunday the teacher was trying to tell them how big God was. And she was talking about how God made the universe and how God fills the universe, and no matter where you go, God is there. She used Psalm 139, if you go to the heights of heaven, He's there. If you go to the depths of hell, God is there. No matter where you go, God is everywhere. And as she concluded her lesson, she said, how many of you would like to have God inside you? How many of you would like to have Jesus in your heart? Well, all the little children in the room raised their hands except one boy. And the teacher said to him, don't you want Jesus in your heart? He said, no, ma'am, I don't think so. He said, if God's as big as you say he is, then he'd be hanging out all over. And isn't that true? If you get somebody as big as God is in your heart, there will be times when he will hang out all over. 
And you won't be able to contain your joy. He'll come out in your words. He'll come out in your worship. He'll come out in your life. If he's in there like these shepherds, he's going to come out. So these men return, the Bible says, to their flocks. The furor, the excitement in Bethlehem dies down. The last calls die out from the street. Back at the manger, Mary, Joseph, and the baby try to get a little rest. And as peace descends on this awesome night in Bethlehem, the Bible says in verse 19 that Mary's mind is still churning. It says Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Kept means to keep safe and sound. She stored up all she knew about Christ. She stored up the events of this evening. And she pondered those things. That means to roll around in the mind. Mary turned all these words and the events of the evening and of the last nine months, no doubt, over and over in her mind, trying to come to terms with everything she knew and heard about her son, the Lord Jesus. Now, Mary did what everyone who hears the message of the gospel needs to do. We need to store those things up. And we need to roll them around in our minds. Roll around in our minds everything the Bible has to say about Jesus, who He is, and what He can do in our lives. And as we think about Him and what the Bible teaches us about Him and about the salvation He offers us, we need to ask ourselves a question. And the question is this. What have I done with this information? What have I done with this knowledge? Have you believed the gospel? Have you placed your faith given to you by the Spirit of God in the Lord Jesus? Are you saved by the grace of God? If you are, you will prove it by sharing Him with others and by worshiping Him. Are you doing those things? And if you aren't saved, the Lord, He may be calling you to come to Him. If He is, come to Him. Don't delay. Look away by faith. Believe the message and go to Christ and He will save you. If He isn't dealing with you, please don't discard these things. But keep them and roll them around in your mind. The day may very well come when who He is and what He's done for you will dawn on you. And when it does, God is ready to save you and He will. The night Jesus was born was a night of wonders. And when He saves you, your life will become a life of wonders. Every day will be a day of wonder and majesty as you walk with Him. Even the hard days are good days when you know the Lord. So I ask you in closing, do you know Him? Can you honestly say today, preacher, if I were to die right now, I know where I'm going. Can you say that? I hope you can. If you can't, I invite you to come to Him and meet Him. If He's calling you to come, you need to come. That's all there is to it. And so, Brother Bobby's getting us a song. Our musicians are coming. I'm getting ready to land this thing.
if you are saved, how are you doing when it comes to this whole idea of sharing Him with those who don't know Him? Do you need to talk to God about that? Do you? Could you do a better job? Then how are you doing, if you know Him, with this idea of glorifying and praising God for what you've seen and heard? Giving God the glory is due. Giving God the praise and worship is due. Few of us are. Lord, ask God to help us with that. I don't know what you need. You do. He does. Work it out with Him. Amen? Father, thank you this morning. Thank you so much for what you've taught us about Jesus and the 